Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast, where we listen into a group of rural firefighters as they give their opinions on the challenges they face both on and off the fireground. We release a new episode every week, so please hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this with your fire family and friends. Now on to this week's episode, where as always, we ask the question, are you DTFF? Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. My name is Carl and tonight I am joined by two members of my firefighting family. I have Scott. Hey there. And I have Timeless Todd. <clears throat> Hello. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about MCI's mass casualty incidents. But first, Scott's got some news. No, you have the news. No, you have the news. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> i got, I got to keep this party going, mate. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> I'm the DJ. I don't really have any official news. It's just um, <laughs> we've been uh, we've been in touch with Marshall Bass down in Australia. Um, I don't think things aren't getting better. No, seems like they're getting worse. I I'd read somewhere like Sydney's now under like a smoke cloud and like I don't know if they're evacuating, but I don't think they are evacuating the city. But um, they're under like like a sixty mile flame front now. Jesus, I think I read that somewhere. It's crazy. Um, we posted a couple of videos. And the one pictures, you yeah. thought you were talking about. That's right, yeah. When that uh, the fire was rocking through the trees, or then it went and crowned, and they had that one truck in the background, they all started scattering from the truck, and there's like 20 by 20 spot fires on the grass starting beside them as they're running. It, was it, looked, like, it looked like it was like spitting lava, and then oh, it was yeah. just kind of spreading out. So that must have the eucalyptus, I'm guessing. That Maybe, is, yeah. Because he was talking about how eucalyptus has the oils and that burns. And, I'd like to see a picture of that truck, how that truck fared from the radiant heat if it didn't burn up. Yeah. yeah. That thing, I can only imagine how hot it was if all those other spot fires were just igniting like that. Can't even yeah. imagine. It was intense, though. Real quick, too. Yeah. Like, just flew up. Because they were chatting, and then all of a sudden it's like roll over their heads and yeah. everything's yeah. catching a fire around them. They were kind of ran. Like, it looks like they had a pretty good safety area. Safety zone they run to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was just spitting over the top of that. Yeah. Um, BC sent, or no, sorry, Canada sent. 21, I think 21 people now. I think. And they're all just kind of in command roles and uh, air, air command and uh, ground command and kind of stuff. There's no no boots on the ground, like no, like none of, none of the force firefighter guys. But that mm. might still come. Yeah. Because it's only, the ain't getting better. just started. Yeah, ain't getting better. It'd be like, it to us, it'd be like, it'd like to us, it would be like June to yeah. us right now out there. Yeah, that's true. It's hard to think. And our real tough part of our season starts in like August. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, that's a perspective changer, eh? Right. Like, you think how much longer you're going to be fighting that front now? Months. <laughs> yeah. Not just weeks, man. Months. Yeah. And that's just what they're dealing with on that one front. Yeah. Crazy. So there's a picture of their um, fire danger rating. Basically, all of Australia is red. <clears throat> I think the stuff that's not red has already burnt up. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's like, yeah, it's fine now. It's <laughs> danger rating is low now there. But, yeah. Crazy. Well, Marshall, everyone else, everyone who's over there doing the doing the business and getting it done. Keep safe. Yeah, yeah stay safe. Uh, MCIs. <clears throat> so there was a... Uh, obviously, we, we talked a little bit about this before when we talked about the R-Attack that some of the guys here went to. And um, things, discussions that we've had as well in the past on on uh, on other bits and pieces about this as well. But this tonight is going to be specifically about 
NCIs, and uh, this kind of came about a little bit because there was an incident near us recently, right? Yeah, uh, a couple hours away from here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I watched you probably, you may know more, Todd. Yeah, a few it's hours, kind of close to you. a few hours away from us. Um, they had some pretty bad roads, and uh, you know, the big thing when we talk about MCIs is, is it's not that you're stereotypical, you know, active shooter or crazy things like MCIs can be defined as any incident or event that overwhelms your current resources, right? So, um, you know, four or five patients could be considered an MCI depending on what resources you have. So this particular event, um, they had two pretty bad car accidents um, fairly close together at the same time. And that area, they only had a few ambulances who were actually able to respond. And the weather was so bad, we couldn't get air resources in. So uh, the fire department, from my understanding, they're able to split and send another truck out to um, that second MVA, which is only about five or 10 kilometers away, I believe. I think it was fairly close. And um, they actually had, God, they had, they're pulling in resources from well over an hour away to send into it. Um, I think at the end of the day, there wasn't a pile of patients. I, I think it was around seven, somewhere around there. But at that moment in time, for the resources they had, slim to none. And because we couldn't get any uh, air evacs in place, uh, everybody had to be transported by road to the nearest hospital, which is a very low acuity hospital. So then they did their secondary triage there. And then from there, they're able to disperse off to uh, the airport and to other um, other resources. So, yeah. yeah, it can happen anywhere. It's the time of the season for us being in slippery, snowy roads as well. <clears throat> and that is the thing, right? Like it's that, and any article you read about these things is we never thought it would happen to us, right? It, it was never going to be our area. Um, and it, it can be very quickly, whether it's multiple vehicles, a large explosion, a <clears throat> fire that just overwhelms a building way too quickly and there's people inside, or unfortunate as well, someone with a gun, right? In, exactly. in situations like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it can it can change real quick and it can happen anywhere. Um, I think some of the key points on it though we're going to touch on as well. Obviously, one being that you want to try and make sure that you're you're doing this training with everyone, including all of your friends in law enforcement, any paramedics and things that you know. Everyone should be on the same page when you're doing these things. Bring in tank council, anyone that you can think of, because everyone's going to be involved when this hits. You want to make sure everyone's already aware that you're you're talking about it having plans you're having these discussions and and trying to figure things out and speaking of figuring things out um we i think it was on the entry it was on the rtac course that you boys went to um and actually when the one when we all went actually as well we were discussing it there too when we were talking about the colored zones and things like that so do you want to maybe go into a little bit of that and uh <clears throat> how that kind of conversation started talking about the triage part yeah yeah because that's the biggest key i think is, yeah. is in mci is is the triaging because otherwise is. your resources gets kind of squandered and it's i think more so even you know when we talk triage and mcis i mean not everybody needs to be a professional at, at triaging people in an mci event however you know if we as a smaller <laughs> department or the police or other agencies can get involved and do start doing some simple triage before all the other resources arrive. That's going to really expedite um, 
things when all that other help arrives when we start doing yeah. the secondary triage <clears throat> and uh, casualty collection points and things like that. So that's when we segue into like our uh, our zone colors, setting up tarps and our staging areas and treatment areas, um, and where we're tagging those patients for what acuity level and dragging them out as. So, I don't know, do we want to talk about the? Yeah, there's a. Um, well, you were just listening to it actually before <laughs> when yeah. I arrived. Um, there, there's a podcast called Mind of the Warrior, and I mentioned it before. Um, Mike's Dr. Mike Simpson is a he's a special forces medic. Used to be a special forces medic. Now he's like an emergency room doctor, and uh, he's part of the uh, uh, committee on tactical casualty care. Um, and he's done a whole lot of research and a whole lot of talks on these things. And this one podcast, it was actually I think his last one was actually on MCIs as well. Um, but he was actually talking about how there's with the levels of triaging, because pretty much, unless there's a off-duty firefighter or a paramedic or someone driving by at the time, um, triaging happens by civilians right away. So it might not be correct, but there's going to be a level of triage right off the bat mm-hmm. that um, like the regular old civilians going to come to, and they're going to be like, they might might be wrong, but they're going to start doing it anyway. So when, even when they get there, I think you mentioned this in the Boston uh, Marathon bombing. Yeah, because you taught it a little bit of a course for us a couple of weeks ago on that, and that was brought up. Yeah, I was pretty lucky to to listen to a um, uh, the EMS chief in a uh, conference uh, years back. Um, he was the chief at the time when the Boston Marathon bombing occurred, and what they were finding during that event <clears throat> was that a lot of the the uh, general public and the people who were involved in the incident already started doing that treatment tourniquets, triaging, dragging people away um, into that warm zone and started collecting them at that first incoming ambulance. So they had a lot of uh, people already kind of in that casualty collection point um, before other responders even even arrived. So that does occur very quickly. We're seeing more and more now in all these big events across the country. Right. So <clears throat> I know that when uh, when we discussed it before, we were talking about that, that color-coded system of how you just, you know, you look, you assess, because again, during these incidents, we want to make sure that we're getting those red patients out as fast as possible. So we've got black, red, yellow, and green. Um, and then do you want to just touch a little bit on, on those four? Yeah, you bet. So um, the red category is considered immediate or our critical patients, right? And then we go into our yellow, uh, so it's delayed or a serious patient that can potentially wait until all the reds have been um, transported. Uh, then we have our green, which is very commonly referred to as our walking wounded or minor. Uh, and then our black is either deceased or uh, expectant. So anybody who's expected to, to pass. Um, and yeah, there's, when we start talking about tagging of, of patients and triage, um, it's important to have these areas set up pretty quickly when you start dragging people out of a warm zone, right? Because we want to start collecting those um, those reds or greens or yellows into one area. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to try and bullhorn marshal or give verbal commands to anybody in that green category, right? So anybody who is potentially uh, walking, obeying commands, you know, they can very easily walk themselves to that green area or else take somebody who may need some assistance um, over to that green area as well. Not to say that that other person might not stay a green, they may uh, be re-triaged, reassessed, and move up to, say, a yellow, 
but at that very moment, so say if yourself, um, if you're able to walk and obey commands and just have a simple arm injury and say Scott has a little bit more of a severe injury, um, but you just need some minor assistance going out, you could help him out. Both of you, I would categorize are off to green and you guys could stay there for now. Right. So that's, that's the good starting point. I think one thing we didn't, <clears throat> it happened in the RTAC course, but we didn't talk about it much is what happens when the green patient doesn't want to leave, <laughs> leave the yellow patient or the red patient? Because uh, I know one one of those actors. If they know each other. Or yeah, one of those actors is like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. And we're like, right. uh. <laughs> so we kind of had to leave. We kind of had to leave the green patient with the yellow patient um, mm. or the red one. I can't remember who it was at the time, but because you don't want to get in a, like a wrestling match with <laughs> no, you're triaged over here. <laughs> no, time is time is of the essence, right? When we're triaging these people, it's just thirty seconds per patient, right? Like a real quick and nasty yeah. assessment model, and then uh, drag them out to that area. Yeah. Um, no, that's a really good point. Actually, we didn't talk about that really a lot. Yeah. I know, like, like I said, it happened because one of the actors wouldn't leave, and I, I think mm-hmm. that was I mean, that was obviously part of the scenario. And we're like, so I was, I was, I was actually getting a little mad at one of our guys. <laughs> I'm like, well, get her out of here. He's like, well, she's not moving. I'm like, ah, we'll just remember who she is because <laughs> it's like well, we're not going to get in a fight, a fight with this person. Yeah. Um. and that's where you know if we're carrying ribbon, um, color coded ribbon, that's that's huge right there because mm-hmm. you could just you could just tie off a piece of ribbon to that individual. And they can stay there. And then as you have more manpower arrive, when you get into that secondary triage, then that person can identify them. And maybe that time we'll have a bit more manpower to delegate, to put that person over to the other side. Right. Or if they're <clears throat> still, say they still are green, okay, hey, great. Keep an eye on your buddy. Let me know if there's any changes, right? Yeah. Have Put them to work for you. Right. Yeah. So as, as, we're, as we're kind of rolling into the triage side of things, let's just touch a little bit on the start principle as well, because I know that the start principle is something that we use. It is, yeah. So the start method is the one that we use here in BC. Um, the ambulance, we're all trained on it. And a few other agencies are, are starting to use that. There is other uh, models out there um, throughout North America, but this is, for our area, this is one that we use. Um, so the start is basically just simple triage and rapid transport. Uh, very basic. So it's uh, like the any any acronyms, right? It's it's meant to be uh, very speedy and effective. Um, there is there is a little bit more to it, however. Like when we start going through our actual model, um, so I've actually got the model here in front of me. Um, I'll just, way, way too prepared this time. I know, right? <laughs> well, because well, it's funny the podcast that you were just mentioning, Scott. Um, <coughs> It is a very, it's a it's a fairly effective model, but you got to be pretty savvy when you're assessing these people because there is a few more things to it. So you got to be able to assess uh, respirations quickly, you know, whether they're greater than thirty or less than thirty, um, things like that. And then you're checking for a radial pulse if the pulse is present or not, um, things like that. So there's there's a few other little things, and then we're checking our perfusion as well. So it's uh it's not the best model for just your layperson to come in and do it. Um, but it, it does, does work pretty good. So for us, our start method is, again, we're trying to categorize those green people right away. So are you able to walk? Yes. Okay. You're a green off to secondary triage. If you're not able to walk, then what's their breathing like? Are they spontaneously breathing? Yes. Now we go into our respiratory rate. Is it greater than 30? Is it under 30? You know, if it's greater than 30, uh, you know, we're immediate. If it's less than 30, you know, then you go into your perfusion. So do you have a radial pulse present? or a capillary refill uh, uh, less than uh, or greater than two seconds. Um, and then from that point, you go into your mental status. Are you obeying commands? And by commands, we're talking, okay, 
squeeze my hand. We're not going to sit there, ask them, do you know what day it is? What's, what's your birthday? It's a very simple command. Squeeze my hand. Yes. Good. Do you understand? Can you stand up and walk? Go over there? Yes. Perfect. Now you get them, get them to, uh, to follow those commands. So, uh, mental status, if they don't obey commands, you're categorized into that red, into that immediate category. If they are following commands, then they're yellow. So there's, there's a few more steps to it rather than some of those other methods that uh, other agencies are using. But for us, it, it works pretty good here. But again, this is my background as a medic for 20 years, right? So it gets kind of driven into us, right? And, and we have that ability to look at somebody pretty quickly, see those, those injuries and kind of expect where they're going to be going. So yes, they may be a yellow right now, but I know that guy's going to be a red here in five minutes. So depending on how many casualties you actually have in that MCI event, I may just categorize them straight away as a red. Oh. Yeah, so you're right that uh, Dr. Simpson was talking about how it's... It's so a little bit more complex. Yeah, if, yeah. if it's not your... If it's not your daily thing, like medic, med, like firefighters, typically they're not... Their medical is not their, their main focus, especially volunteer firefighters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was also discussing, like, talking about how, you know, police are quite often the ones on scene or, or law enforcement of some sort are the ones on scene first. So he was discussing one called the RAMP triage model, which is actually, it was, it was simplified. And, he, you know, like he was saying, if you triage, and, I mean, it's not like it's wrong, you triage, when the paramedics arrive, they're going to triage again. And people mm-hmm. are going to triage, I don't know, like a whole bunch of times throughout yeah, the day. Yeah, you're going to be triaged <clears throat> a couple times through, the, through that event. Yeah, so... So originally, like, this RAMP method is actually, what does the RAMP stand for? Rapid Assessment of Mentation, which is Mental Activity and uh, Pulse. So mm-hmm. um, so theirs is uh, casually without signs of obvious death. So this is like a little um, flowchart. So if, they, if they're not obviously dead, like, you know, missing their head or something, um, then you go to the next thing. Casually follows commands, yes or no. If it's yes, you go down, you check the radio pulse. Is the pulse present? If yes, then they're delayed. Okay, so then they're, they're red. I guess that's like they're yellow. Okay, if they have no radio pulse, then right away they get into the red, into the urgent. Okay, um, back up. If the casually follows commands and it's a no, do they have a radio pulse? Yes, they're urgent. If they have no radio pulse and they didn't follow commands, then they're expected. So that's their simple method, like super simple method. They're all very similar. Yeah, they're all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think some, I, like I think the start one, just it goes a little bit more in detail, like mm-hmm. checking respirations and, and even uh, they 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 do the, the cap refill thing, don't they? Yeah, cap yeah. refill. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so we've got uh, we've got the start, and we have ramp, and again they're they're both very similar, and and that's uh, those are obviously ways of kind of just looking at the process of how we get through that triaging process, and then obviously we've got the actual we've got a bigger one there as well, which is more detailed on actually patient by patient, which is the march principle m-a-r-c-h so so that's yeah that's more individual for for individual assessments right um so yeah the march assessment uh which is seems to be the the go-to for the ttc and even more and more trauma stuff nowadays so uh massive hemorrhage uh matter sorry massive bleeding or massive hemorrhage uh, a for airway respirations, circulation, and then age for head injury or hypothermia or anything else. Um, and that, you know, we, Scott and I, we were talking about the, the typical one that we always learned back in the day was just your, your 
ABCs. ABCs, right? It's exactly the same thing. Um, it's better sounding acronym. Yeah. <laughs> this is one that you actually remember versus the millions of other acronyms out there. Um, but uh, again, it's, it's it's very effective because there's no sense in sitting and pounding on somebody's chest if they've got a million holes or missing a limb and you're going to be pumping all that blood out of them, right? So we've got to control that massive hemorrhage first, get that airway open, respirations, circulation, and head injury, hypothermia, and others. Because hypothermia, of course, can yeah. can uh, cause a whole bunch of other other issues. Yeah, I really, I really like or that. Or help you. Like the March, like, it, like Todd said, for years here, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but ABCs are always drilling in our heads, whether you're like your your first day of first aid or you're, you know, you're getting into paramedic stuff. It's ABCs, ABCs, ABCs. But then there's a D in there, which is deadly, mm-hmm. deadly bleed. Deadly so it was bleed, like, yeah. it was like D-A-B-C. I'm like, well, that's, so now all of a sudden, okay, now I can remember D, but I remembered all these ABCs. So I find still some people go back to the ABCs right away and they could potentially miss the, the D. Whereas in March, it's right in there. And when we learned, like, I didn't really learn March until we went to the RTAC course. Um, Todd had heard about it and Todd had done it. Um, but March was so, to me, it was like right away, as soon as I see the M, or as soon as I get to the M, I'm like, okay, check the person. Okay, I don't see any pools of blood. I don't see, you know, the typical things that we talk about during uh, stop the bleed. Mm-hmm. I don't see any of that. Okay, now I'm going to move. Okay, they are. Okay, now I'm going to move their airway. And is it open? Yes or no? And then I'm going to get into the respirations. How effective is it? And carry on from there. So I found that March thing. It's It's what I'm using now when I... When I, if if I mean, we haven't had a major incident since then, but if I was to go, that's what I'm gonna, I think that's what I'm going to use more. I mean, yeah. it's the same thing. Every, the same everybody thing. should be using using a method like that. It's uh, it's the most effective. Um, it's quick. It's easy to remember. Mm. Um, and then you know, once that's out of the way, then we can get into our other other um, assessment models. But again, the March method is an individual assessment to a patient. Yeah. Right. Not triaging necessarily. Yes. Yeah, so triaging were quick and dirty. Thirty seconds. Basics categorize out you go right to that casualty collection point yeah you don't want to get bogged down in march or, or abcs when you're doing the triage no, exactly it's, it's the exact opposite you want to just be like basically either the ramp thing just do they have a pulse yes or no or sorry first thing like todd said do they follow commands and, the, and can they walk, walk yeah. if they're if they're that right away they're right away they're green and we're going to put them over in another area yeah and then if if they uh if they follow commands but they can't move okay do they have a radio pulse because the radio pulse tells us a lot about them. I think we talked about this last time. Or mm-hmm. We talked about this. Yeah. yeah. So if they're missing the radio pulse, their blood pressure is probably dropping. So they have issues. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to go into that red category. Yeah. Um, if they don't follow commands, but they have a radio pulse, well, that probably means they're unconscious <laughs> or they or they have some sort of head injury. Um, yeah. So they're going to have to go into that red category again. Yeah. Or into the into the expectant category too. Yeah, or the expectant. Yeah. They won't have both those in there. Yeah. yeah, and that's probably the hardest thing, even in training for triaging and MCIs. Yet alone on a real event yeah. is to be able to actually say no. This guy's expected to die and move on and not do anything. Yeah. That is probably the most hardest thing to do as a responder on yeah. on a real scene. Yeah. But it's even hard to wrap your head around that when you're tra- when you're training, like in our RTAC simulations that we did. Everybody, so lots of people stumble with, with things like that. We had some guys just get sucked in, starting to work. Somebody and the instructor's like, oh, "Now he doesn't have a pulse." Oh, get the defib, do this. We're like, yeah. no, no, you got no defib right out at all. <laughs> Fifteen more patients coming at you. Like, yeah. you got it, and it's hard. It's really yeah. hard to say no, and you got to move on. Yeah. Well, and I keep coming back to the one like we had at the beginning of this year. We had that. I mean, it was a two vehicle accident, and mm-hmm. you happened to be attending. 
Yeah. You came and attended, and we had four four patients. Yeah, only four. Yeah. Yeah, but in, in you know reality, we had one ambulance, and it was uh, it was overwhelming the resources, right? That's exactly it. By definition, that is an MCI. <clears throat> yeah. Because our resources were overwhelmed, we had one ambulance, and then yeah. my vehicle, which is non transport capable. Yeah. And. Um, and fire truck, which is not trained. Yeah, exactly. Then a couple of fire trucks, and the roads yeah. were crap. Uh, the other ambulances were well over an hour away. Yeah, uh, coming in from from pagers. Because I think they also had there was other accidents that day. Yeah, remember the whole highways were shut down all around us. Um, yeah, but I remember because uh, I stuck my head in with you inside the vehicle, and uh, the one patient, you're like, you, you did a quick assessment. You're like, no, not gonna make it. Yeah, and then you're like. That one's the first, that one's second, and then there's one guy kind of walking around outside. So, that yeah, was interesting. Yeah, we tasked uh, <coughs> one of your members to uh, to kind of babysit the other guy, which at that point is categorized. He's walking, right? He's yeah. categorized as green. Yeah. And uh, we kept him corralled to one area. And it helped that the person who we tasked was, uh, was a medic as well. Mm. So, he understood what was going on. And then as more resources came in, I think I actually even, I think we used Warren again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was tough because like I said, you got those, you got technically three paramedics, one ambulance and two stretcher spots. Yeah. If we do the makeshift stretcher over the bench and the yeah. seat, right. And it's, uh, yeah, it's challenging, yeah. you know, especially one was a pediatric as well. So yeah. you're dealing with that, but. Which probably um, made it, I mean, made, maybe made the transport easier. Cause it definitely made the transport pediatric, easier. You don't have yeah. to have the whole bed and everything. But every, every stress level is up higher. Oh yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, then what else? Then, yeah, so then we, once we moved that out, we, uh, that was, that was pretty simple to, we didn't really have a, uh, collection point for there because yeah, you could have triaged in the vehicle. Yeah, we just had the triage <laughs> in the vehicle. You guys popped the door so we could extricate that one, uh, victim and then we pulled the other patient out afterwards and put yeah. them both straight into the ambulance because it was cold too, right? So the yeah. other thing when we start talking about casualty collection points and where you're going to be setting up your staging tarps, um, is, what other resources do you need to keep them warm? Yeah. Right? Like maybe we need to be bringing in a bus yeah. right, or, or something else. Or if it's only a couple of people, maybe we, can we put them in a fire truck if they're stable enough to keep them warm, depending on the size of the trucks, things like that. Yeah. And that's when that the connections with the town and things like that come in. Because again, if you're getting into those bigger situations and they open up you know, your emergency response centers and then you mm-hmm. start getting into those things, that's when you can start getting requests for Absolutely. thinking outside the box. Hey, I need, I've got, 15 well, patients, I need blankets. Well, it's not even like we have a, like it's back to that volunteer thing because we got, you know, and in, t- in the hall, we have someone who's, uh, they run a wine tour <laughs> and they have a bus. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that bus would be there in, in minutes if we needed it. Absolutely. Yeah. Plus, we have, uh, you know, a couple of the guys are, are bus drivers for the local school. So they would probably, we haven't had to do it yet, but I'm guessing they would go grab a school bus in mm-hmm. school season and drive out. Absolutely. And as instant commanders, you really got to, you got to think about this stuff and it's hard because it might not be on your mind right away. You might just be focusing on all these other things we're trying to deal with, you know? So if a lot of other people in your department are really fo- understanding where that focus needs to be and how these assessment models should work, I mean, they, they don't necessarily need to be very proficient with it, but they need to understand how it works. So, you know, maybe that, that second in command or, or another officer can catch that and say, Hey, have you thought about this? Oh, geez, yeah, let's get a bus started because ambulance says their other ambulances are an hour away, right? Yeah. You know, and we know we can have a bus here in 15 minutes. Right. So really got to think about that. And then even with that, uh, with the tarps, like we talked about the colors of the tarps and where we're oh, setting yeah. them yet. Yeah. So having it that well-defined 
Cowsley uh, um, Collection area and have them spread out too, right? So they don't up triage themselves. Yeah, we haven't talked about that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, let's discuss that actually. So the, the color system, obviously, we understand because we've, we've discussed it a little bit with um, with the, the triage of each individual patients and, mm-hmm. the, and the kind of going through that portion. But yes, upscaling, we had talked about that as well. Yeah, well, I, I know one thing we talked about on uh, for the fire and what we're going to get soon, we're going to get uh, ribbons. Mm-hmm. So just simple ribbon to tie on their arm or whatever. Um, but a, a deeper triage, which is what the paramedics are going to do, they have they have the triage guards. Yeah, so we've got our MCI kits, uh, our uh, unit kits, they're called, uh, in every ambulance. And those have all the cards <clears throat> and all the ribbon uh, for our triage team leaders, our treatment leader, our logistics and you know, managers and stuff like that. Um, however, you know, when you look at our setting as volunteer firefighters, you know, we could totally be supporting them with just simple ribbon colors, yeah. getting out there, assisting in triage. Maybe we're even getting it done quick and dirty before they arrive. And uh, it's just going to really help that process. And then from there, uh, they are, we don't have, in all of our animals, we don't have all the colored tarps, but we do have an MCI unit. But again, in our area, it's quite a ways away. Yeah. In that unit, we've got all the fancy delineators and cones and ribbons and colored vests and you name it, right? To keep track of people, all the colored tarps to, to set up areas. But until that arrives, we need to support and kind of keep moving forward, right? So, Yeah, so one thing with us uh, in our department, which I found uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't on purpose, I'd like to say it was, but I, I don't think it was on purpose, was on our rescue truck, we actually have... Well, actually, it wasn't even on a rescue truck. There was one, we had a red tarp on a, on one of our pumpers for, uh, like, basically the red tarp. And then we had a yellow tarp on a rescue truck. Actually, we had two yellow tarps on a rescue truck. So what I did when I got back from Artec, I remember seeing different colored tarps. I was like, yeah. So all I did was switch the, I put the red tarp on the, uh, on, uh, on the engine, because it doesn't matter what color the red tarp is. And I put the other, the other tarp onto the rescue truck. So now we have a red and a yellow tarp on mm-hmm. a rescue truck. And uh, like we talked about, we we'd separate them a fair distance apart. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, you should have the you put the reds, put the red tarp near where the ambulance is going to show up first. Right. So again, in MCIs, real estate is your best friend. You want to be able to have enough area to be working and have these these uh, areas set up. And depending on your zone, there's there's two different real big styles of how to set up your your staging tarps, <clears throat> but wherever your red is going to be, because those are the ones that are going to be transporting out first. Yeah. So we want those ones obviously closest to where the ambulances are going to be arriving, to where they're backing up, and we can load them out. So have your reds first, then your yellows, and then your greens somewhere else, like a little further away. Because a lot, you talk to a lot of people that have done a lot of MCIs, people will tend to up-triage themselves, right? They'll sit there with their tag, and they're like, well, all those people are disappearing quick off in the ambulance. So they, they may rip rip off their tag to a, another color level and they, hey, I'm on the wrong one. I'm supposed to be in a red. Yeah. <laughs> or just move over to that red or yellow tarp, right? So it's very important. when Once you have patients assigned to a tarp, to a color, uh, we need an individual there to babysit them, essentially. We need somebody to stay there to keep them corralled to that area, just for that reason. Yeah. yeah. The... Uh... That always amazes me. Yeah, you know, we had that conversation before about people kind of just trying to 
trying to jump the jump the gate, mm-hmm. so to speak. You right? catch him doing it. You punish him and give him a black one. Sit up here now. You dead? Um, You're not getting that. <laughs> start walking. But it is. It's these little things, especially with hey, the red tarp is going to be the people that need the biggest amount of treatment as quick as possible. Yeah. Let's put it near a location that we can get a vehicle to easily. Absolutely. Just those little things, those minor details that you just you at the time you're, you maybe just skip your mind. We'll throw it over there. Well, mm-hmm. shit, now they're coming in this side. So then we got to try and trace them across the whole thing. So, yeah. yeah. Well, then one thing we were talking about and when we were doing it is uh, bringing out the tarps or the tarps, the tents that we have. Um, mm-hmm. So we have tents for our um, rehab for our guys when we're doing structure fires and stuff. So um, bringing out those tents. Then I realized actually I realized our tents don't have walls. Like the pop up tents. Yeah. Um, probably something something we should look into getting is a little walls and maybe even a heater because um, our truck has power. We get a little heater in there. Um, probably, I mean, it's probably going to be most of the yellow tarp I'm thinking is going to need to be the one that has most yeah, of that stuff the in it. Yeah, are sitting there for a bit. Because they're going to yeah. be the ones probably sitting there the longest. Because the greens can go on, on, like you said, the greens can probably get on a bus. Yeah. If a bus shows up in time. Um, the, the, the blacks, I mean, they're going to stay, probably stay where they lay for the most part until mm-hmm. the corner arrives. And then the, um, the yellows are going to be sitting there waiting for the, because the reds are going to go first, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but so yeah, I'm thinking we should probably looking at getting some walls for those. T- they're not. I mean, they're not expensive. We should get some yellow walls for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's important to think about. You know, like I mean, for us, for our summer times, our heat. You yeah. know, definitely, you want something down. It, like, if we're talking just highway stuff now, yeah. car accidents, trauma, things like that, we're gonna need a barrier for that uh, for that pavement because it is boiling yeah. hot. You're gonna get yeah. burns if we don't. Do I'm hoping the tarp. I think the tarp would be good for that. Yeah. So yeah. the tarp on the ground is that. That's money. And then uh, if we can throw up some shade for that, that's even better. Yeah. Uh, but now that we're in this time of the year, you know, again, we got to think about the cold. We talk about stop the bleed, stop the heat too, right? Yeah. So yeah, we got to uh, make sure people are wrapped up in thermal blankets and uh, yeah. know, keep that barrier around them and keep them warm. Absolutely. And that's when having those conversations beforehand. Yeah. with the people hey you know what if ever this occurs and we need to call on you is there a number that we can get hold of you on mm-hmm. that is 24 7 that we know we can get hold of this xyz quickly yeah. you know and luckily we're in an area where we're quite small everyone tends to know everyone and again a lot of the people listening are probably in the same sort of boat volunteer communities normally the same thing so you you call the guy and it's like hey yeah you're you're the manager of xyz store great i need these many things and i need them now no problem Go down, unlock. You got probably gonna right. get them exactly. So it's it's worth having that that chat and getting those people's numbers because you never know what you'll need. Well, that's just it, and and the biggest thing in all these types of events, the first thing that goes south is communications. So when you talk about you know having those conversations starting with your department and then other agencies and and your neighboring departments, mostly planning for that worst case scenario when that big event happens, say if it's even close to our border and we both get sent, uh, we need to be very aware of what we all have um, to, to use for these events. Like Scott was mentioning about the tarps, like at that time you guys had the red for your writ. Yeah. And then we had our yellow for our writ. Yeah. And then after our attack, that's when you and I were chatting. I was like, well, we need to be swapping things. Yeah. So everything is, this, is, is yeah. very similar, right? Yeah. So I know I'm going to be having conversations with our chiefs about, you know, future stuff with the MCI kits have a very stock similar to how you guys are going to have yours. Yep. And then even just um, the colors of the tarps, like 
So your RIT tarp looks like our RIT tarp. So if we have a big event, you guys know, nope, that's the RIT tarp. Those are the tools that need to be on it. If we come yeah. back you guys up, yeah. we know what tools are on your tarp, et cetera, right? Yeah. It's a great, great point that uh, that interagency, especially when you're talking about um, you're talking about mutual aid, right? Like you call mutual aid, everyone should be training together anyway. If you do have the opportunity to do so, you should. And if you can set trucks up and things like that in a similar fashion, it's definitely very beneficial for everybody who shows up if they're not, you know, necessarily showing up on their own vehicles. A lot of these, a lot of the people that we end up talking to that listen to the podcast, not all of them go straight to the hall. A lot mm -hmm. of them have their gear on them and then they either go straight to scene and meet the vehicle there mm -hmm. or maybe they've got one vehicle which they're going to take and they're going to pick up people on the route, right? Like it's yeah. it's not just like us. We all dive in the hall, we get on a vehicle and we go. It's not always the case. No, that's true. It's very interesting. You, you tend to forget what, you know, we're so used to in our little areas. And then when I worked in the city, it was all these resources right there. However, when I was vacationing in, where was I, Coos Bay, Oregon, uh, we were down there on the dunes riding our bikes in the dunes, pounding away, and there was actually a murder in our campsite. <laughs> and we had, the first, I still remember, the first person that arrived was a paramedic responding to the scene, or maybe it was a firefighter paramedic, in his own personal truck with lights on it, um, with his own personal kit, just Justin Civvies, I had no idea who he was at first. Um, but again, then another pickup shows up, another jump kit comes out, they had all their gear with them, and then finally all the other police, and then this massive ambulance rolls up with all the resources. But again, depending on these states and other communities, um, your response models are totally different. There is a lot of people out there that have their own kits and respond directly. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's discuss a little bit about kits, um, seeing as it's something that is on the, on the list. So... With kits, obviously, there's some key items that we want to make sure that we've got in them. And I know that, obviously, <laughs> you can't you can't count the amount of times you've said the word tourniquet on this podcast, but um, <laughs> it's a lot, but it, it's important, right? And mm. I know another one is the uh, the chest packs, right? Chest seals, yeah. Chest seals. So let, maybe go through a few of the things there, Todd, as well. Um, any other items that are important? Oh, chest seals are... Mm. Yes, chest seals could go in there. Well... I was just thinking, so like, it depends on what kind of kit you're talking about. If you're just building an MCI kit, by the time that MCI kit arrives, uh, I mean, you might have okay, some chest I mean, seals, but... Sorry, our, discuss yeah, our discussion is we're going to put the MCI kit on our on our rescue truck. Okay, yeah. yeah that's good. We have that. We have the boxes up top. Yeah, so for something for that, it would probably be beneficial. Um, I mean, basically, the way it always seems to work, if, if it is a big MCI... Like we've, we've had other units respond to bus crashes up on the highway and that first ambulance, when it gets there, it's gutted. People just start taking stuff <laughs> out of the back of the ambulance and then taking everything out. There's debris everywhere. Um, or if you park downtown Vancouver for too long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Things have. It's funny. Like, I don't know if you remember this when I went on that ride along with you, like years ago, years ago, I went on a ride along with you. I can't remember. Yeah, you were we, we were you were downtown working downtown Vancouver. Oh right, okay. And, you're, and I'm sitting in the back, the jump seat in the back, because it's where I had to sit. And you're like, and you, we park in like the worst part of town. <laughs> and you're like, and I don't know, I don't know if you purposely left the back door open or if you just did it because you know I was back there. And, and like literally within five minutes, someone started opening the back door. Oh yeah. And you're like, yeah. See, that's what happens. <laughs> this guy's trying to get in, and I don't know, he's stealing drugs or whatever. He sees me. <laughs> 
people they'll come and open the doors, try the doors. Yeah. Um, yeah, never leave a jump kit door open because things will things will walk for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that wasn't for MCI. That was just for people stealing <laughs> stuff. But it was just yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, so like you talk about individual kits for sure, chest seals, tourniquets, you know, wound packing, things like that, things that are going to save somebody's life immediately. Uh, if you're trained in um, uh, area maneuvers and things like that, uh, having BVMs, all that kind of stuff for sure. Uh, larger kit style, MCI stuff. Yeah, you want lots of blankets, lots of th thermal barriers, uh, lots of gauze, um, you know, things that are going to be designed to stay on scene for a little bit more to yeah. support these people, keep them warm, bandage up. Um, I know we're doing uh, so everything you just said, and then we're going to get some of those uh, like portable, those little litters, like the little. Um, oh, yeah. Like the fold up litter, like basically um, carry somebody out yeah yeah like little full-up ones like 30 bucks kind of thing mm -hmm. um just simple like four or five of them just so we can do rapid transport yeah it feels like a tarp kind of material some yeah of them and, yeah um i know we're looking to buy a few of those just mm -hmm. for that you know get them get them to the tarp well that's the other thing right like we, we learned that in the rtac was yeah. you know when we went in as our as our rescue task force you know you, you enter into a room together, you start clearing these rooms and, and grabbing people to do your quick triage and drag them out to the zone, so the collection points. If you don't have a litter like that, it it's hard to take them out. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be packing spine boards and clamshells. Those things are big and no. bulky and, and awkward. Yeah. Um, I know when I did, I fell back to, like, some of the stuff I've seen the law enforcement guys do, which yeah. is, like, you know, the, the old the, under the arms and then not one under the legs and just go. Yeah. Or even, like, the the drag, just drag them, try to get them out of that, that yeah. yellow, that uh, warm zone. And that's a whole whole other topic, right? Like, if depending on how you're extricating these people out of the warm zone, well, what type of an MCI event is it? Yeah. Is it a hazardous, hazardous materials? Pardon me. Is it a uh, active shooter? Is it just a trauma event? Is it, you know, why? There's so many varieties. So you're going to have to really be thinking on, okay, are you just doing the quick and dirty pick up and drag? Yeah. Or do we have time to throw them on a little bit of a litter and carry them out? Yeah. Or how are we actually going to be extricating these? I mean, there's people I've seen all sorts of different styles. Like people use basket stretchers to drag people out, things like that. And, yeah. yeah. So you got, you always, always got to be thinking, right? Adapt and overcome. Yeah. 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 And <clears throat> I know that we had, uh, we had touched a little bit on, uh, the active shooter stuff previously um but uh, let's maybe just touch on that too because again that is one of the big mci situations that is occurring more and more frequently now yeah um and it's something that we discussed fairly uh, decently with um with a gentleman at the r attack course as well and that he explained the process that they go through and obviously with dr nick we've got an interview coming up with him soon i know that he is uh he's also a, a big proponent of of us rescue task force. as firefighters Absolutely. going in as yeah. part of that rescue task force so let's just touch on that for a little bit um in what way so uh, <laughs> the role that's okay that so the the role that firefighters are going to be looked upon to play in right. mass yeah. casualty incidents there. Which, which i think we talked about but like so you got the law enforcement who they're going to be dealing with a threat and they're going to be going in and shutting down that threat. And then, uh, then you got the the paramedics who are going to be outside of that warm zone because they're the ones that have that skill set to deal with uh, the patients. So there's yeah. that there's that kind of gap in the middle. There's that bridge in the middle that needs to be filled, and that's where everybody sees the firefighters, which is perfect because they're you know we have the numbers, 
for the most part, we have way more we have way way more numbers than paramedics do. Mm-hmm. Usually, there's two paramedics in an ambulance, and then there's you know five or six in a fire truck. So um, they're viewed as they're going in with the police into that warm zone and starting to just do quick, either quick triage, quick um, tourniquet application, get them on a litter, get them out to the um, collection point. So that's where they're seeing them. I know there's um, NFPA now has actually some ruling, what's ruling, some. Um, Guidelines. Um, yeah, guidelines on on how rescue task force needs to be outfitted. So there's uh, they have level level two A protection for your uh, chest, like for body armor, um, and that's kind of the sticking point for a lot of small departments because you know body armor a thousand dollars a minimum. Like you now, nah, maybe you know, I mean you get cheaper ones, but and and ultimately you need the fanciest armor. No, you're not really getting in a gunfight. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. the whole point of it is you're in the yellow, you're in the warm zone. You're not in the you're not in the fight itself. So I know part of that is you have to wear body armor. And like I said, for really small departments, it's a sticking point. So whether maybe one day they're going to start giving um, grants for that sort of stuff, or um, there was talk on maybe using some um, expired armor that the police would use. But then what happens if someone actually does get shot? Because then you know, oh, why was he wearing an expired armor? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. But then it comes down to like do right. yeah. you know. Level two A armor doesn't stop much. It's gonna stop a pistol round and maybe a shotgun that's shooting like buckshot, but it's not gonna stop a slug. It's not gonna stop a um, an AR like a um, a fast moving projectile. So I don't know. And it's definitely not gonna stop a bomb. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost went down the political route of what's going on in our country with ARs. But I'll stay clear from that. Yeah. So I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's not gonna stop a super like a high velocity round. It's, it's gonna stop those pistol rounds. So you know, is it even necessary? Sometimes you're like, well, <laughs> but even when, when yeah. we trained in that scenario, yeah. you know, we were going in. The police were taking us in as a team. Yeah. You know, they kept the room secure as, as we needed. Move through, so there's lots of ways to do it. Yeah. I think if departments and when I think if people are going to start thinking about this stuff, that's when you need to get that partnership on board, yeah. talk to the local police, get your town councils on board, and start talking. What are we going to do? Because yeah. I can tell you, in our area, we all know we've talked about this before. EHS, we're not going in a warm zone, we're going to be staying out and waiting. So, somebody's got to have to bring them out. Yeah. And like I talked to our guys about because we were talking about school shootings and stuff, and if it happens. You know, some of our guys are like, oh, you know, it's not our job. Well, your kids are all, like, every one of us has kids in these schools around here. And again, that's another thing about being a volunteer firefighter. You're going to have kids in your area, so you're going to go in. Mm-hmm. And whether you go in properly or you go in like a panic mode, because some parents are just going to run in there trying to save their kids. So why might as well be prepared to do it properly, which is a rescue task force. Absolutely. Um, so I, whether that's us talking to the police and seeing if they have extra armor, which I don't know what they do. Probably not, but um, you know, maybe they maybe they have a budget for that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, and even in the in the midterm though, like we need to be having these conversations with our agencies. So if we get one next week, yeah, the police need to know. Hey, okay, this is what our fire department will do. They will be ready. We'll take them into a room. We'll bring them yeah. out. Things like that. Because like you said, we've got the man, we've got the manpower for it. Yeah. We have the numbers in the trucks to show up quickly yeah. and get them out. And ambulances are going to take a while to start rolling in. Yeah. I mean, because for the most part, most shootings are, are going to be that lone gunman, and police are going to they're going to they're going to be able to either get him barricaded in or shut him down quick, or he's going to flee. I would say he because it's again ninety nine percent of them are lone males. Mm-hmm. They're going to flee, 
or it might be a might be a bombing because I don't even call mine started off as a bombing. It wasn't it wasn't meant to be a shooting. It was meant to be a bombing. They they laid a whole bunch of bombs. They just they're idiots. You didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, so none of their bombs went off. Um. So again, back to that armor thing. Was the armor going to protect them? No. But um, if they you know you go in fast, get it done, get the police covering you, get people out because ultimately you got to get them out fast. It's that's where, the, like we talk about, and stop the bleed. You gotta stop that bleeding. That'd be and it's a great thing about. I mean, not the great thing. Um, the the one thing about shootings is it's gonna be almost all the same injury, like with a motor vehicle accident. And you know that in that podcast, that Mind of the Warrior podcast, like a motor vehicle accident, you can have you can have a penetrating injury, you'd have a blunt force trauma, mm-hmm. you'd have yeah. you know Multiple all the sort of stuff. traumas, you name it. Yeah, injuries. yeah there's a, it's a it's a different style of triaging yeah. versus the actor shooter stuff right yeah and that's one thing that uh simpson was talking about and he's done a powerpoint and uh kind of a presentation on another form of triage that he was developing called alert and i haven't read up on it enough but basically um it is specifically for the shootings because yeah um basically um anywhere where there's a tourniquet application that's in the so anything below that is going to be uh person's in the yellow if the tourniquet's applied properly and the blood's ceased so they're right away they're in the yellow if it's in the chest, or right away they're going to be red, and they're going to be transported. And if it's in the head, they're basically expected. So it's the same kind of triage, but now it's based on where the round is um, placed, I guess, on the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, one of the one of the big things I think that I remember as a takeaway was it's not about going and assessing them in a spot. It's about getting in, grabbing anyone that you can find, the first person in front of you as that person in the in the mid-ground, as those kind of middle people, and dragging them back to a safe area and assessing them there. It's Unless they are 100%, you can guarantee, okay, this person is what, you know, they are a black, and this is, you know, that person is deceased. And then we had discussed as well, they had discussed the angel position, right, with the, yeah. the hands well, crossed across you know, the chest. And I, like we talked about it, I still think it's going to be hard to do that, like... <laughs> The, time you know, take, take the time to like, put a person in that position. It's gonna be t- it's gonna be a challenge. You're gonna be probably walking past them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the one thing that the one department is training yeah. to do. Yeah. But and again, like just because we say like if somebody if you triage somebody as black because they're either deceased or they're expectant, once you get the triaging done, the initial triaging done of the first group of the reds, yellows, greens, uh, then you can go back and do that secondary triage on those blacks, and th- some of those may turn into a red. Um, depending on, again, on your resources and what you got going on. Um, so that's, that's pretty important to do that. And then we talk about secondary triage that's going to occur again, uh, at the tarp. And then it could possibly already change again. I mean, these people could be triaged numerous times during this event. So it's, it's constantly going to change. Absolutely. One thing I was going to talk about, uh, back to those, those portable letters. One thing that every fire truck has is, uh, ladders and mm-hmm. not an extension ladder, but, um, you can use a roof ladder or uh, attic ladder. Um, we use those all the time when we when we train. We're, like, whether we're doing a writ to get people out of uh, you know first floor window, we use the, we stuff the roof ladder in, put the patient fire, down firefighter on the ladder, and pull them out. It's a it's a, it's a great um, stretcher. Mm-hmm. Those roof ladders or attic ladders. Yeah. So yeah, we use them in writ for getting people in windows and out of windows and yeah. moving around. And you could you could just like I said adapt and 
and yeah. make something work. Uh, and again, in our province, every ambulance has mantle mats. Yeah. Um, you can use those. It's, it's, it's like a litter. It's a heavy, uh, heavy tarp that weighs like, I think it can support up to 500 pounds or something. Yeah. Uh, maybe more. I can't recall. It's got a whole bunch of handles uh, woven into the sides of it. And, and so if there is an event, you know, ask the medics for that or grab that and use it. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. Um, yeah. I think we'll start wrapping her up. Unless there's anything else you got to add to that. I think just come down just train. Just yeah. train on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I know it's something that I want to train next year. Um, trying to wrap my head around how we're going to do it. Whether we do it based on a car accident or we base it on a, shoot, a school thing. Um, or we base it, or maybe not even school, like uh, office building, anything like that. Because, um, again, it just comes down to triage and it's going to come down to that, those tarps and those colors and rapid assessment. So it really doesn't matter what we train it under. But if we do a, you know, one of those shooting scenarios, then it has to be, we obviously have to get the law enforcement involved. And maybe, and like talks of, we got to get them involved anyways. It's not a bad it's, idea. It's, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. Because they need to know that we know, at least we're training it, at least we're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I mean, in the past, we did those uh, mock MCI scenarios with the high school students. Yeah. Um, and we the school buses, we had search and rescue involved for all the walking wounded and uh, in, involve your hospitals, right? Get everybody involved. Because also when we talk about MCIs and, and triaging, and we talk about overwhelming whatever resources are there, it could just be the hospital could be overwhelmed. You may not have enough hospital beds. or So that could instigate a code orange for us. It's called up here. And uh, and kick off an MCI. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the the biggest takeaway is have the conversations, have them early, start thinking about things and, you know, start making some plans, not necessarily detailed, but some base loose stuff that you can at least adapt to different situations. So mm-hmm. at least you're ready for, you know, not ready for anything, but ready for the majority of things because we never know what we're going to get involved in, right? Yeah, keep those conversations open and those partnerships with the other agencies. And like Scott said, just train and practice it because when they do happen, very rarely they go as smooth as as we want them to on paper. Um, we we get it done, but they can always have room for improvement, right? So practice, practice. Yeah, and you it's can like guarantee we're getting it cool. Yeah. You know, again, yeah. it's that large majority of manpower, right? Real quick, real fast. Mm-hmm. You, don't need to be, you don't need to be uh, advanced care paramedics or anything. You just need to know basics, nope. which every firefighter knows. Yeah. yeah. And that's sick why, or not sick. <laughs> and that's why, we, uh, that's why we're teaching the Stop the Bleed so much, right? Yeah. Uh, is just because of that as well, because we're finding, like we said before, is all these, these uh, the lay person responders, you know, the people that are involved in incident or bystanders, they're turning into those responders. So they're already initiating that triage um, before we arrive. Yeah. Yeah, man. Perfect. Scott. What? Motus. I want to talk about Motus. I still haven't got my stuff. <laughs> I'm going over to Ash's house, though, at his Christmas tree. I'm still, like, I'm still uh... expecting it. There's a boxer there from Ash, from Motus. <laughs> Ash isn't here again. No, Ash is still He's sick. Surrounded by his Motus stuff. <laughs> He's just hoarding it. <laughs> my precious. <laughs> All right, um, Motus, Snagger Tool. <laughs> Uh, door wedges, snagger tool. Uh, they just brought out their bag of goodies, which is uh, a cool little bag of goodies, actually, um, according to the pictures. Ash has got one, I think. I probably should look at the pictures. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> they got some good little stuff. It's like a little truck pack kind of thing. Um, 
yeah, check them out. Uh, the snagger tools we use quite often now. Rob is a massive, massive fan um, for moving any kind of hose lines, especially when you're dealing with the uh, the two and a halves. Uh, couplers, especially with the weather getting colder, couplers leak, as we all know. Being able to get in there when those lines start to get a little bit frosty um, with those uh, with the snagger tools one either side and be able to crank them open, super helpful, very, very useful. Great to have in your pocket for all sorts of things. Um, yeah, door wedges and all the other stuff. Uh, if you want to buy one and you want to get your hands on them, DTFF5 will give you 5% discount on all of the purchases on their website. So yeah, check them out. Yeah, we wouldn't know. We don't get fire calls anymore. It seems like. <laughs> <laughs> it's all alarm activations. <laughs> we had a dry patch here, see? Didn't see? Bit of a dry patch. We had a couple of fires. Yeah. Well, that recent one. Yeah, that was a good one. I mean, was, sorry, it was a good. It was it. It was a good it one because it was a well. very good save. Um, it started in the in the like a shed, for some reason. Um, actually, as one of the guys pointed out, he's like, everybody always puts, uh, you know, so much effort into making sure their house is uh, up to snuff on electrical standards and yeah. all these standards. And then meanwhile, they'll put an extension cord in the shed with the uh, spice wires. I'm not saying that's what happened. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> don't don't look at my house right now. It's <laughs> Definitely breaking a few codes. <laughs> but anyways, this shed was on fire, like fully involved. We got there right next to a structure. Um, According to our dispatch times, we were, I don't know if we were flying there, because I was actually on the first truck, and it felt like we were flying there for a minute, but we got there within like five minutes, four or five minutes, and uh, hit it really hard, uh, lots of water, um, didn't, it didn't, like it touched the exposure, um, it, it was black, it's definitely starting to crawl into the attic before, but we knocked it down fast enough. So that was a good one for, uh, after a dry spell, it was good to see us still, in, still um, stepping up and going hard. Nice. A couple of missteps, like we had a few missteps, but they're simple missteps, like just, you know, um, yeah, like the hose deployment stuff didn't go as smooth, but whatever. <laughs> we went out, like we hooked it up, hit, put water on it. It's great. Nice. Yeah, everybody worked together. Sorry, I'm looking at motors. <laughs> oh, truck mount's kind of cool. They got some cool stuff. Yeah. RZ? Yeah. RZ. Um, RZ mask, <laughs> which is actually one thing I noticed on that last fire. Like there was probably about eight, eight of our people after the initial fire was knocked down. Um, about eight guys had their RZ masks on, um, walking around. You know, you know, now that the shed was down, you know, and there's just kind of smoking a little bit. Guys were kind of walking around, cleaning up hoses, but there was still lots of smoke in the air. So you know, they put those on rather than full air packs. Um, yeah, it was. Lots of lots of RZ masks on. That's good to see. Yeah. Um. They're we've talked about them a lot. So, what more to say? <laughs> what if they got them in Australia? Maybe they should send them a care package down there. I think so. Yeah. We bought the M ones for all of Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, we bought the M ones, right? Yeah. Uh, with the F three filters. filters. Yeah. yeah, which are the carbon fillers. Yeah. Does Marshall, did you guys, does he wear anything like that? Or what do they wear I, in their wild car? I don't know what they're wearing. I'm not sure either. I not really talk to him about that. We should, maybe while he, I mean, he's going to hear this, unless he's really, really busy. He's, <laughs> he's very, very busy. Yeah. 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 But he'll, he'll probably be listening. Um, so yeah, post, tell us what you're wearing. <laughs> what are you wearing, Marshall? <laughs> <laughs> Budgie smuggler. I was going to say. Budgie smuggler in our Z mask. <laughs> Actually, if you are, take a picture of that. It's going to be awesome. 
it's legendary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, RZ Mavs. That is totally Mad Max right now. Just <laughs> a bloody smuggler. Because you're going to have those crazy RZ Masks with yeah. like, the jaws on it. I don't know, Mask. DTFF is the code for RZ Mask. Yeah. Gives you 30% off, which is a really good discount. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Works out. Uh, Bar Boys. Um, the uh, Brotherhood Academy Radio. <laughs> We've now we have now our own Facebook group together. We yeah. do, we do. Uh, yeah, messaging group. Yeah, I forgot about the time yeah. change there when we're all chatting the other yeah. day on there. You know, I've, I realized that um, I don't think Rob and Kevin are on there yet. No, so we'll have to put them on that. Yeah, we should add them in. There's a lot of uh, banter back and forth. Yeah, it's good yeah. fun. Good fun. Yeah, good bunch of guys. Um, they're in uh, Maine, right? Is it Maine? Yes. Yeah, and. Uh, they talk about the same sort of things that we talk about uh, with their uh, Americanized twists. Yeah. But uh, yeah, good bunch of guys. Give them a listen. Um, again, we are talking about doing a collab episode at some point here. Um, they are threatening to potentially even make their way up here for our seminar, which we will talk about in a few minutes, especially. Uh, and yeah, so give them a look. Brotherhood Academy Radio. Um, great bunch of guys. Good listen. Give him a shake, give him a like, give him a vote, all the fun stuff. Uh, Todd, stop the bleed. Stop the bleed. Um, bleedingcontrol.org or stopthebleed.org. Uh, go online, check it out. Uh, talk to people in the area. Um, also on there, uh, if you're an instructor, you can post uh, where your classes are and if you're interested in a class. Um, I know. Uh, out east in Canada and through the states, they're quite popular. Uh, it's starting to pick up more and more here in uh, our west coast area. Um, yeah, again, tourniquets. Learn how to stop these uh, massive hemorrhages right away. Um, have those conversations about what you're carrying. Um, wound packing. Stop the bleed kits. The goal is to have uh, these kits in every public area, just like a public access defibrillator hanging on the wall. Uh, prime areas, schools, community centers, things like that. Because we are finding more and more people are, like we said, becoming those responders prior to the other responder, emergency responders arriving. So get trained up on it. It's uh, it's a good course. It's a lot of fun. Um, I yeah. think what I like about it is they're not super strict. Like, we, you know, we when we follow, we follow their PowerPoint. Yeah. But then with their, you know, they're not super strict on, like, on their... Practical like, on a practical application yeah. so we have our little wound packing thing mm-hmm. um, depending on we kind of tailor you and I you know we kind of tailor make it to work like if we're teaching the the uh, we, we taught the kids from the high school yep. couple of them um, we kind of tailor make it towards them a little bit more gentle on them <laughs> and then all the way to teaching some of the law enforcement guys where we're throwing it in there into their um, shooting scenarios where mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're doing the sim rounds and yelling and screaming at them and yeah yeah we've got one planned actually I think it's probably going to be January oh, with our our border guys <laughs> nice. um, and yeah that, that one will be funny Chad a little bit about with it with you with um, we're going to bring in some other volunteers with a couple of twists for them for the practical scenarios and uh, <laughs> make sure I'm here quick, I'm away almost half of January so. we'll figure it out yeah, 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 yeah we'll yeah. make it work yeah, and actually, uh, Kevin, he's working on uh, ski patrol right now in local mountain, and he was, oh, yes. he was talking about uh, Stop the Bleed with them, so they're showing some interest. And I was wondering, like, I was I messaged Todd, like, 
wonder what our blood demo scenario is like for them. in the we, snow we pour the blood we pour pour like fake blood on the ground to show what, what mm-hmm. this much blood looks yeah. like i'm just wondering what it's going to look like on the snow because it's going to burn right through the snow and, and it's going to be different yeah and, or it might you know, it's going to be brighter or, you know i don't know it's gonna be interesting if yeah. we go up there and do it with them or wherever we end up doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do it in their good. territory? Yeah, I think it would Absolutely. be great. Yeah, do it in the woods. Like, yeah. right in the, like someone's fallen out. Someone's jumped yeah. a mogul and they fall into, it, into the tree line and they they puncture themselves with a the tree branch. Yeah. yeah. I think that I, can make, I can make that work. I, that's in my catch rent zone. So. Yeah. I think it'll be... We can do some great scenarios with that. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. We have a few ideas. Might yeah. bring the camera for Crazy that. stick branches and stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some guy's arm got caught in a lift. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) We got some ideas for training. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so stop the bleep. Uh, And then secondalarm.org, our friend Matt, um, he has a cause which is going to be helpful for all of us. Uh, Secondalarm.org. They are trying to get more and more firefighters into our fire halls. Uh, we want to understand that there is a massive loss when it comes to people not signing up to be volunteers on these services anymore. Um, Matt's calls is out there trying to beat the drum to all of the public and share the importance of what it is we do, why we do it, and why people should join and be a part of it. So. Uh, if you can and you have the time and you feel like this is a, a needed thing for you and for everyone else, check them out. Secondalarm.org. <clears throat> Give them some support. And then we got us. Seminar. Oh, yeah. Seminar. Oh, seminar is us. Yeah, seminar yeah. is us. Um, seminar is coming up May 1st, 2nd, 3rd, <laughs> 2020. Uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, Ash and I actually had a conference call just the other day with um, with one of our... They're one of our main, or not main, they're like a, a very large um, part of our seminar. They do a lot of different scenarios for us. So, and that's going to, that's Fortis BC, which is our, it's only, it's, I guess it's like Fortis BC. So I guess it is. Um, they're <laughs> like our energy company. So they're like, what's down in the States? Um, I have no idea. Like, anyways, it's, it's, it's our energy company. So they deal with uh, electrical, gas. Um, they actually wanted to point out, they, they do other things too. Like um, they're getting into the, just general energy, like uh, electric cars, all that sort of stuff. Um, so but they're big on a lot of uh, training with uh, fire departments and yeah, owners, right? They, they're they huge on that. So um, we had this really good conference call with them and a lot of their their higher ups. Um, it was funny because we were talking and we were talking about all this stuff, and we had mentioned it came up somehow that with the podcast and man, they were excited. So we were excited. <laughs> um, so. In the future, I, I have a feeling we're going to get a few of them on, um, which will be great because they're literally the experts on dealing with gas emergencies, dealing with electrical emergencies. So that sounds like something that we're going to be able to do, a little bit of a collaboration sort of thing with them. And yeah, some of the stuff they're planning for seminar. Um, LNG is big right now, liquid natural gas. So it comes in a big tanker truck. Uh, so once again, they're, they're planning on coming down and they're going to do some uh, releases and then they light it. And we had them two years ago, and mm-hmm. about what, a 40, 50 foot fireball shoots in the air. And, oh, yeah. And it's interesting because you can't fight it with water. You actually fight it with a dry cam. That's the best way to put it out. Mm-hmm. So we were actually in their little vault because they have this kind of vault, which is a big steel box thing. And it's full of this super cold because that's to be kept very cold to keep it liquefied. And we were down there with the, with the special gloves on, and we were kind of playing with it, and it was part of the training. 
So they're going to do that. Um, one of the things we're talking about is maybe a night release, which will be just pretty spectacular. Oh, yeah. In between <laughs> the band sets? Yeah, with, in between the par- uh, during the party, we're talking, hopefully getting the... Um, I already mentioned to the to the guy doing the, um, doing the music... During their set change or during during their break, we're gonna we're gonna blow up a massive fireball. <laughs> you just laughed. Firepalooza. A firepalooza. Twenty twenty. Fireballs at night are always a, always yeah. a, a big winner for Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Yeah, they said they did it last time. Uh, the guys from Fortis they did it in a, a big city and uh, they got a lot of nine one one calls. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll probably. Well, I mean, the good thing about it, I think, cool in, in our town yeah, is uh, dispatch, no. yeah. yeah. I mean, in our town, basically, we tell dispatch for. Entire weekend. If you get any uh, strange calls from large fires down, explosions, yeah, explosions and stuff, just just radio us to make sure. Don't page us out fully because it's yeah. probably us <laughs> blowing some stuff up. Yeah, Here, that's great. There is a lot planned for seminar this year. It's going to be probably our biggest and best yet. It's making my head hurt. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. And along with that, as well, if you would like to join us May first, second, third, here in Oliver, BC. You can uh, actually, if you message us, we can. In fact, I'll maybe I'll post up the link to the seminar page. Um, well, you and didn't do that last time. Yeah. You didn't. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll <laughs> I'll post up the link to the seminar page, and if you're interested, you can definitely click on there and then uh, request access, and we'll get you added that way. Then Facebook page. Remember, Facebook yeah. page. Yeah, you'll be you'll be the first people to know as soon as we we get that going. And, and there's some great pictures of previous seminars and. Things that blow up. Yes. Yeah, there's some good stuff on there. Um, yeah, so you should come. You should come see us. It'll be a blast. We had a few few oh, different yeah. groups from all over the place uh, already messaging us, saying they're going to be sending some crews. It'll be a lot of fun. I think we have some DTFF stuff on sale there, too. I think we will, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We had, I think it was it was a group from Iowa that said they were going to be coming. Idaho. Idaho, that's right. Nice. Idaho. Yeah, there was like five from Idaho, I think, that were talking about coming. And then uh, there was another couple for, I know Chris is coming as well. Yeah. He said he's booking his ticket. He said he was booking a ticket yesterday to me today. So Marshall Bass is going to be coming here because he's going to be tired. From- he's going to come here for a rest. But you can fly back with the Fly back with those guys. They're coming back here anyways. But yeah, come see us. It'll be fun. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, we won't mention that one yet because it hasn't been confirmed. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. we'll, we'll talk whatever. Uh, yeah, so us, we are on Facebook, we are on YouTube, uh, we're on Instagram, and uh, obviously we're on all of the different uh, realms for podcasts. So if you do enjoy listening to us, Interviews are coming up as well, but if you do int- uh, if you do like listening to us, then please drop us a review. That's the word I was looking for. I was lost there for a second. It's written right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, drop us a review. Greatly appreciated on the Facebook page or on the Instagram or wherever's. Uh, it's always very helpful for other people to find us that way. Um, and we like hearing whether or not it's, you know, whether we're doing anything that's useful. It's always nice to get a little bit of gauge back. Seems like, uh, people are listening for, for, uh, good reasons and we tend to get a lot of good feedback, which is, which is great. So, 
Uh, we appreciate it. We don't make any money off of this. It's more of a fun thing. And uh, again, we try and do this to share the knowledge. We don't brag about things that we uh, we know all and, and we are everything when it comes to the knowledge of things. We talk about things that we know. We talk about things that we practice and we talk about things that work for us. So again, um, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate your support and uh, head on over to one of our pages so you can join the fire family. And I think that's about it. Well done. Happy days. Okay, Todd. Thank you, as always. Scott. Good night. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Stay DTFF. Ooh.